With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Bring in the Podcasts. As always, I'm your host, Luke Thompson. JT Van Gilder is with us today. JT, how you doing? I'm doing all right, Luke. And we've got a rare off-season podcast and brought on the hardest-working Kansas State reporter in the biz, Kellis Robinette of the KCSR in Wichita Eagle. How you doing, Kellis? I'm doing good. I'm glad we could finally make this work. Yeah, for sure. Man, you, you've been around the beat for quite a long time now, right? Yeah, hard to imagine, but yeah, it's coming up on 10 years. Yeah. I was thinking, like, how many beat reporters for, you know, the other various sports has the KC Star had during your tenure? Quite a few Missouri, oh it seems like. A lot of Chiefs, at least two or three Royals guys. Yeah, uh, yeah, we've entered over at pretty much every other spot, I guess. I've just camped out here in Manhattan and refused to leave. But, yeah, we've had two or three uh, different, really three or four different KU guys, three or four Mizzou guys. So, yeah, I guess I'm the dean of (laughs) of us right now. Yeah, yeah, well, we appreciate all your work. So let's get into it. We're going to talk a little bit about basketball first. You know, obviously the recruiting is kind of the big thing right now. You know, I I honestly don't get too into it, but we'll, we'll talk about it first. I think the first name that comes up has got to be Caleb Grill. You know, it seems like it's between K-State and UNOV for him. Can you kind of – what are your thoughts on where he might go? Yeah, I talked to him on Thursday, and he said that Kansas State, Iowa State, UNLV were basically tied at this point. But when I asked him about all three schools, he got noticeably more excited about Vegas than the other two. And you could say part of that is that he hasn't been there yet. He's about to visit. Maybe if he's never been there, he's just pumped to go to Vegas. But <laughs> at the same time, I think he got really strong ties with that coach there. He committed to him, obviously, when he originally committed to South Dakota State out of high school. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it'll come down to UNLV and Kansas State. I think if I had to you know, guess which way he's leaning right now, I'd probably say UNLV. But at the same time, I've known people who've gone out there and taken visits to that school. And it's just so different and so far away. It's hard for some kids, especially someone from, from Wichita, Kansas, to maybe say, okay, this is really where I want to spend the next four years. So it'll probably come down to, does he want to play for the coach he's most comfortable with, uh, which would be the coach at UNLV, or does he want to stay close to home and be the in-state, in-state guy like Dean Wade and uh, Ron Baker and some other guys have been before him. So, you know, I, I don't think I can call it just yet, but it'll be interesting to see whatever he decides. Sure. And then the other target a lot of people are talking about is, is David Sloan, the Juco guy. I guess Bruce and his staff not totally scared off by the, the Austin Trice experiment. Where do you think David Sloan could fit in and what's his situation? Yeah, he's a little bit different. I didn't necessarily think they would want a recruit with his skill set just because he is a true point guard and they kind of already have that. Sean Neal Williams and some other guys who can play the point. But at the same time, his Juco stats jump off the page at you. 12 or 12.5 points scoring a game, 9.5 assists. 
sure how anybody gets to that number. Junior college is quite a bit different, so maybe they tacked on a little bit more in there. But, uh, I mean, it, it seems like the kid can play. Um, yeah, you're right. Kansas State hasn't had the best luck with Juco guys lately. Austin tried. Uh, was a bit of a bust. But if you go back to, uh, like, Corby Irvin, the last point guard they had out of Juco, he actually turned out pretty good. He wasn't lighting the world on fire first year in Manhattan. But he was a really good role player as a senior and helped them get to the NCAA tournament. So, you know, if he can come in and, and deliver the same results, you know, I'm sure they'd probably live with that. The real problem they've had with Juco guys lately is that once they get in, only stay one year. So it's hard to get that second payoff. I'd say I think he's probably – more of a uh, K-State lean right now, but it, it, it'll be interesting to see how Kansas State handles that with recruiting two guards right now. Would they take both guards if they both said they wanted to play, right. or do they want to split it up and have one guard and one big? You know, may, Maybe it won't even come down to that. Maybe they don't both commit, but that, that would be one interesting thing to monitor there. Yeah, yeah. It'll be, it'll be interesting. Cause yeah, cause I think you said kind of, it seems like K-State really needs a, a big guy be good to have right yeah and i mean it's pretty clear they want a guy with experience preferably a grad transfer they've they've chased a few of them unfortunately struck out on the drexel kid the drexel transfer yesterday so that's the other thing i'm interested in they continue to chase uh, a grad transfer who can come in and play the stretch four or do they maybe relent and say okay maybe we try to bring in a four-year guy or or look at the incoming freshman they already have signed up right and I don't know, you know, how you feel, JT, but it, for me, it's hard to get too excited about any of these guys because it's not like, you know, barring a miracle, you're not going to bring in, like, some super standout guy. And it, it almost seems like a crapshoot at this point, even more so than usual. Who you get, yeah. you know, you kind of want to just wait and see until they get I, here. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'll be kind of echoing. I, I heard this. Uh, they were talking about this on the game on K-Man yesterday about this very thing. And, I think Eric Bossy at, at Rivals put out something not too long ago about like the success rate of of guys that you know commit this late in the cycle, and it's like really low, even for you know four year guys. So and, and we've seen that you know here like if, if you get them in the early cycle, those you know guys end up playing three four years, but getting them real late, getting them after you know the February signing period, and end up those guys are, are out the door by the end of that next year. One thing I thought was really interesting this year, though, is we actually get basically an extra scholarship. And I don't mean it like, you know, we've got more than the number, but since we've got, you know, we had good news, Capagel, however you say his last name, I apologize. Um, you know, he was part of the 2019 class, this incoming freshman class, but he got here early. So we got to, like, try out a player early, figure out that, he wasn't a fit here and can still, you know, reuse that same scholarship for another player in the 2019 class. So it's almost like getting two players with one scholarship for the 2019 year. It was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've kind of compared spring recruiting to basically like, it's a big old gamble. It's a lottery. Everybody gets a lottery ticket. They all look good. You're trying to add that one or second final piece to your roster, but really, I mean, how many of them actually work out for every Ron Baker, for every Texas Tech grad transfer that they got last year, there's just, you know, dozens and dozens of more kids who come in and contribute very little. Kansas State, historically, like like you mentioned, that I, I kind of went back and looked. It seemed like Cartier Jada, they got him late. Corby Irvin, they got him late. I guess Kamal Stokes, they signed him late. But really, outside of that, they really haven't had anybody come in at this period that they signed at this period. 
who's come in and been a real big contributor. So it is basically a crapshoot. I, I definitely agree with that. Yeah. yeah. You know, at the same time, K-State pretty obviously needs some, some newcomers to produce early. Hopefully it'll be the guys that they, they signed early. You know, I've said it before, I think if they don't have one or two of the, the new freshmen or whatever in the starting lineup, I, I think this team's going to have some real problems. But it seems like that that's a possibility that those, some of those early guys can produce right away, would you say? Yeah, I think so. I would give Dijuan Gordon a pretty good chance of starting. If he doesn't start, I think he'd certainly play starter-level minutes, potentially. I, I'm really intrigued to see what he can do just being the – Watching how much he developed as a senior in Chicago. To be named Chicago Player of the Year by the Chicago Sun-Times is quite an honor. And I don't know how many of those guys Bruce ever got when he was at Illinois. I don't know if he ever got any of them. So I think it's kind of a special deal for him to get him. And I think he could really help him at guard. And then I, I actually like what they have with Montavious Murphy and Antonio Gordon inside. I think they can both score a little bit better than some of the bigs they've had in the past, a little bit more versatile. I don't know if they're like your traditional back-to-the-basket guys. The question will be, can they play immediately? Because they do need somebody to step in the four. If it's not one of those guys, it's probably going to have to be Xavier Sneed, which would force them to play small more than they have in the past. So we'll see. But, yeah, I think all three of those guys will play next season. It's just a question of can they get themselves acclimated quickly enough to start and be you know solid rotation guys. Yeah. So now that we've looked ahead a little bit, let's let's look back for a moment on another Big 12 championship season. JT had to be a, a pretty good year to have season tickets. You know, would you say that the, the regular season at least met the high preseason expectations for this team? I think you know it ended that way. There were you know pretty good chunks of the season, especially headed into you know like mid January, yeah. where it you know felt like you know the wheels were about to fall off, and that that game against West Virginia. There were, I don't know, maybe six or 7,000 people there. It, it looked pretty empty in there. And, and you know, they, they managed to pull that out and turn their season around. But before that, it was pretty rough, especially there in person. And you could feel it in the crowd and stuff, too. It just, things changed, you know, by mid-February, even the crowd was, was starting to finally realize that, that these guys were, were going to stick around and, and stay on top. But I think it wasn't until, yeah, until that, like the, K, the win against KU that I think most people believed that these guys could do something special. Yeah, I mean, back in January, Kellis and pretty much the whole K-State reporting division went to watch North Dakota State football instead of Kansas State at Texas Tech, right? Yeah, and I didn't really give it a moment to thought either. <laughs> I, I figured that was definitely the way to go. Yeah. Um, well, and, and at the time, even watching it, we were, we were kind of monitoring it on our phones seeing how far they fell behind early against Texas Tech. And, yeah, none of us were thinking Big Joe Championship at that point. But, yeah. hey, and give Bruce and those guys credit. They they managed injuries and, yeah, had, had a great Big 12 season, one of the best they've had in a long time. Yeah, and it was really amazing how much the team improved rebounding and even defensively a little bit. You know, they already playing at a pretty high level, but this season was really taken to an elite level. How much does the credit does the coaching staff deserve for that? Um. You know, I, I would give, I mean, I, I have a vote for the AP all Big 12 team. I voted Bruce Weber Coach of the Year just because I thought the way he spotted the whole rest of the field, two games with those early losses when he didn't have Dean Wade, and then, you know, managing the roster even when Dean Wade was at far less than 100%, get through there and, and win those games and adapt and, and find a ways, like you said, to, to rebound without Austin Trice giving you a whole lot. Yeah. 
and to find a way to score a lot more efficiently because that was the problem at, at midseason when, when you guys were talking about the crowds kind of growing restless because the you know there were just these long scoring droughts. Yeah, it was pretty rare to even see K State score in the sixties. But then they got Dean Wade back, and all of a sudden they were a really efficient offense. You know, they weren't um, North Carolina or anything, but good enough with their defense to win games. So I, I really thought, I mean, I, I tend to give more credit to the players and the coaches, but I, I think both sides did a really good job in the regular season. Yeah, yeah. I think there were definitely two coaches that, that were deserving of the honor. Certainly a lot of other years, you know. Chris Beard was did a lot of good things at Tech, too. But what about... You know, Barry Brown, we, we hear a lot about his West Virginia speech or whatnot. You know, how, how important was, was his leadership? And, and kind of along with that, you know, where does he rank all time among K-State players? Well, uh, I mean, his leadership was huge because he was, you know, the one guy, the staple through the whole season. I think you can go back and look. I don't think he ever missed a game in a Kansas State uniform, which is kind of incredible this day and age. But for he was the guy who kept it all together. Dean Wade was in and out. Mouth Stokes missed some time early. Was it less than 100 percent late? So they needed somebody. They needed that glue guy to be in there and hold everything together. And, and he was him before the final few games. I'd say the four or five games left in the season. He was playing at a. Uh, he was. I thought he was right with Garrett Culver, and arguably the Big Show Player of the Year. He just uh, kind of ran out of gas and didn't put up the stats late to justify it. But. He really had a great season, and if you add everything he did together, not just this year, but last year getting the team to the Elite Eight, year before that helping him get to an NCAA tournament, being part of the class that turned things around over the last four years, I, I really think he'll be a slam dunk choice to have his jersey retired here in a couple of seasons. And so I guess then the obvious question from that is who replaces that, that leadership and kind of that glue guy mentality? Because, you know, Cardi Ajada and Xavier Sneed can obviously be good players, but you know better than us, it seems like they're more the quiet type and not necessarily the in-your-face type guys. You know, you think, you think one of them? Right, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I, I thought it was interesting when I asked Bruce Weber that same question. He said he did, even brought in Pearson McAtee and asked if he could help out in leadership. So that just kind of goes to show you that those guys aren't the biggest rah-rah guy. I think Xavier Sneed can be a little bit more vocal and more of a leader, but really the guy I think they'll turn to will be Cartier Jada. He's, he's a little bit more outspoken. And you can see late this year, especially when he came back from his finger injury, he was out there and trying to, to help out as much as he could. I, I think he'll probably be the – I don't know that they have another Barry Brown on the roster right now, but he'll probably be it. The struggle for them will be the, the other senior they have, McCall Ween. Like, he, he hardly talks at all, so he's not going to give him, you know, he'll come out, he'll do what he's supposed to, he'll be a good player, but he's not going to do anything other than lead by example. So there'll be a lot of um, pressure, I, I think, on Cartier and Xavier to step up and, and, and lead. And I don't know that either one of them could do it as well as Barry did, but at the same time, I wouldn't completely write it off either. Yeah. And then you mentioned the, the injuries Dean had. Obviously, when he was healthy and confident, he was one of the best players in the league, but you know, what impact do those injuries have on his legacy as a K-State player? Yeah, it definitely leaves you wanting more, or at least wondering what could have been. I mean, just as as simple as what what would have happened if he'd have played last year against Loyola Chicago? What would have happened this year if he'd have been healthy for the NCAA tournament? I don't really know that this season 
just looking at some of the teams that made the Sweet 16 and beyond, I think they outclassed K-State a little bit. So I, I don't think you can sit back and say this year that they definitely would have made the Final Four or something with them. But the door was open last season. Man, if they could have – I mean, if he could have played those eight minutes against Kentucky and then built on it and had like 20 against Loyola Chicago, I think they really could have won that game and gotten the Final Four out of it. So you definitely kind of wonder, man, uh, if he had just stayed healthier – not only could he have been one of the best players in Kansas State history, but he would have done something truly memorable. Mm-hmm. I still think he goes down as one of the best who's ever played here just because uh, he made all-conference first team two times. The last guy who, who did that was Jacob Pullen. Not easily done. So you definitely have to think, boy, maybe we could have got more out of him, but at the same time have to appreciate that he did what he could when he was healthy. Yeah. You know, even you know with all those injuries – I mean, he's still top 10 scoring. I mean, he's still, I mean, in a bunch of top lists. So, again, it, that wanting more, like, man, look, look what he did when he was healthy. Right. God, if he could have just stayed healthy. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, I guess, the, you know, the last thing I wanted to ask is, you know, I, I'm sure fans will have differing opinions on uh, which season was better. It's kind of the opposite of, of last season that, you know, the regular season was sort of average and then the, the tournament went really well. This year, that script was kind of flipped. But my question on that is, what do you think is better for recruiting? You know, is it better to have a, a good regular season, or is it is it better to have a deep tournament run? Man, that is a great question. But I mean, shoot, you, but both sides of that question: what's more exciting for fans? What's more exciting <laughs> yeah. for recruiting? Ah, uh, man, yeah, that's a, that's a good one. I would tend to think that the good regular season probably has a little bit more weight. Just because when you do, it, it's just sustained success. If you're if you're ranked throughout most of the season, that means you're going to be on Sports Center. People are going to be watching your highlights. You can hang a banner from it, and I guess you can hang a banner from a, from an Elite Eight too. But I, I think there's a little bit more weight placed on regular season, just because if you can, if that proves you can do it over the long haul and keeps players paying attention maybe a little bit longer than just that real quick, you know, run in the tournament. But they're both helpful. That's a good question. So I, I think it probably just depends on each recruit, what they pay attention to. But, yeah, I'll, I'll go with, with longevity over just a quick yeah. little spurt in March. Okay. All right. I'd say it, it probably matters more, you know, for a Power 5 school, you know, big conference school, to have that sustained success. You know, for, a, like, a small school, sure. you know, like a, a Davidson or something, you know, they're, that tournament run, that's what fuels them for the future, but for a school like K-State or you see like KU, they haven't made a bunch of deep runs necessarily, but that sustained success, those, you know, 14 straight titles, that's, you know, that's what gets recruits, at least to to big schools, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. All right, well, that's enough about basketball, so we'll take a quick break and then talk about football. All right, so spring football is over. Tell us, well, you know, every year we talk about the, the QB battle, but... I guess that's not much of a question this year, huh? <laughs> yeah, that one's got it cemented in stone. It's, it's a little different this time around. <laughs> yeah, so uh, first of all, I mean, how, how is the football recruiting going, you know, given the circumstances? We know, obviously, Clemens coming on late and kind of behind, but, you know, right now they're ranked ahead of Texas Tech even on 247, eighth in the Big 12. So how would you say they're doing? Yeah, it kind of depends how you look at it. Overall, I would say it's improved. They have five recruits right now signed up for their 2020 class, and that's, uh, I believe, as the fourth 
out of commit in terms of commitments out of the Big Twelve, they're only one behind the most. The, the most mm-hmm. is six, and three teams have it. So normally this time of the year, you're looking at zero or one recruit being signed up for that class. And now Kansas State has five, so they've been much more active. Out of the five guys they have, four of them all had other Power Five offers. Some of them had multiple. They've gone head to head and beat Arkansas, Missouri, Kansas for some guys. So overall, you look at what they've done and you say, boy, this is uh, quite a bit of an upgrade from those last few Snyder years where the vast majority of players they were bringing in were guys who basically were choosing K-State because they were their only Power 5 offer. So overall, I would say Kansas State, you got to like what they're doing with recruiting, but at the same time, they've missed on some of the, the best local kids in the state. Obviously, when Chris Kleiman came in, kind of the dream would be that his extra energy and his new attention to recruiting would be enough to land guys like Turner Corcoran from Free State and Hayden Pauls from Emporia and Kai Thomas from Topeka. And uh, here we are in early May, and all three guys are off at other places. They even lost Hayden Pauls to Iowa State. So that's kind of a, a kick to the teeth there to see uh, local guys choosing to go outside the state. But I talked to a lot of people about this. I'm actually trying to write a story just on the state of Kansas State recruiting right now. And seems like if you even go back, uh, you know, five, six years, Kansas State just hasn't had the most success with in-state guys for whatever reason. Some they don't recruit, some they haven't had the best relationships with, and it's not like Chris Kleinman was coming in and inheriting this, this great head start or anything like that with these guys. They were going up against, uh, like with Turner Corcoran, he visited Nebraska ten times, and Hayden Paul of Iowa State had been recruiting him for two years, so... It's not like they came in and, and had some kind of big head start and they were locked to K-State or anything like that. So they've got to make some efforts to rebuild some relationships with Sunflower State coaches and see if they can close that gap down the road. Yeah. And Turner Kirkland, is he related to the, the guy that used to cover KU for the Orange Journal World? I don't think so. Okay. But yeah, they do have the same last name, that's yeah. for sure. Not exactly a common last name either. So it's important to remember, though, I mean, we're still only in first part of May. And while, yeah, it's great to have those commitments locked up now, I mean, there's still several months until even the, the early signing period starts. So there's there's still time for, for climbing and those guys to, to work on. I, I think, you know, especially like Kai Thomas and Hayden Pauls, who may be a little less sure on their, you know, maybe a little easier to sway. I think Corcoran was probably going to go to Nebraska no matter what, but. You know, there's still some time to work on those guys. Yeah, for sure. I, I could see Thomas flipping at some point down the road. So that, that would be a good get for them. And, and there are other guys out there. It's not like this is a three or four person class kind of year for the state of Kansas. There's, you know, maybe 15 guys out there who could actually help pitch up teams. So if they can find a way to get get uh, as many of them as they can, uh, that would help make up for it for sure. Yeah. But so for the 2019 class, of course, like every coaching staff in college football history, you know, they came out and told us that they filled all the needs. They did a great job. But, you know, would you say that they really filled all the holes they needed to? Or uh, um, I don't know. With as many holes as there are on the K-State football roster, I don't know that they could have, uh, <laughs> you know, short things up in one recruiting class like that. Yeah. I, I do like the job they did. I think they did nice work to keep uh, most of the commits that, Bill Snyder had lined up for them, and then they went out. And, I mean, it's pretty obvious the positions they needed. They needed running backs, they needed defensive backs, um, and they needed guys who could come in and help right away, even if it's not at their you know desired position, whether it be on special teams, which which 
offense, defense, up the linebacker, something like that. They've got a lot of guys who seem capable of uh, helping out at several spots, and that's probably what they really need just because there are so many holes at running back. There's no depth at, at linebacker. Uh, you don't really know what special teams is going to look like. So they've at least added some athletes. And I, I think some of the guys they've added look pretty good. Like this, uh, even the, the, their running back, they got super late, Jacardia Wright out of Illinois. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know a whole lot about him, but his high school stats are uh, out of this world. So hmm. you got to think he, think he could come in and contribute somewhere. Right. Um, and they've got a bunch of running backs lined up. They like to play a lot of running backs. So it was just weird during the spring to see him play with one scholarship running back. <laughs> that, that to me is the biggest mystery moving forward is because uh, Cordy Messingham and Chris Kleiman, they love to run the ball. They love to run the ball with like five, six dudes. Are they going to have good enough numbers to do that next year? I don't know. But they've at least got bodies in there who can do it. So props to them for finding them. Yeah. yeah. I think they got a – they, they got a lot of speed out of this class, even as late a start as they got on it. I, I, I really was impressed with, you know, they, they went after and got a lot of speed uh, all over, you know, every position seems like it's one thing that, you know, every recruit is like fast guy. He's got fast numbers. He's got good track numbers. And I think that's really something that this roster did need was a little bit of uh, speed infusion. So, JT, what did you think of the, the spring, whatever that was? It wasn't really a game, right? Yeah, the showcase. <laughs> as, a, as a fan, just going, I, you're not sitting there watching four hours of, of football, you know, of, of ultra vanilla football. So that was, you know, in some ways it's nice. And, you know, in some ways I know a lot of people did like to go and take that as a, a game and, you know, get carried through that off season with some more football talk. But as somebody who's, you know, more invested in seeing what we have as a team. I actually much preferred that practice format, you know, to see guys actually getting a lot of reps and, you know, seeing, you know, strategies at work and, you know, seeing how Thompson's looking at, with receivers, you know, in, in a practice mode, he can actually hit, you know, get a lot more reps and, and hit, you know, several different things as opposed to, you know, the game format where they're running plays and there's a lot of downtime. You know, there was always something going on. And so I actually enjoyed that part of it quite a bit. We left right before the scrimmage started, but, you know, everything I heard about it was about the same as what I was seeing at the, you know, the practice part of it before that. I think there's some things that K-State Athletics needs to do to make it more fun for fans, but the football portion of it, I think, is is a, a good way to go, especially in today's day and age. Yeah. Well, yeah, let's kind of go through the, the position groups a little bit. You talked about running back depth being a problem, Kellis. What about you know the offensive line? Obviously, lost an irreplaceable leader, Dalton Reisner, but a lot of experience coming back. You know, you feel like those guys should be okay. Yeah, I think offensive line will be a strength again. Obviously, like you said, they'll miss Dalton Reisner. Not he's the highest NFL draft pick they've had and Josh Freeman for a reason. So he's really good. They'll miss him on the right side of the line. And Abdul Beecham was pretty solid inside as well. At the same time, they got a lot of guys starting experience back. I really liked Nick Kaltmeyer at right tackle. I think he could actually come in and fill Reisner's shoes as well as probably anybody else could. And uh, I, Scott France, he's looked good at left tackle. Adam Holtorf has played center for a while. You know, Josh Revis, we've heard good things about at guard. So that, that's actually one of their... I don't know if they have the, top, the high-end talent anymore there, but they've got a lot of depth and a lot of bodies who've got experience. So 
I think that's actually one of their better spots. Yeah. But, you know, we talk about Dalton Reiser and how good he looked there on the right side. And he was even, you know, playing out of a natural position. You know, he's more of an interior lineman. And so I think, you know, like Nick Kaltmeyer, I think he looks and plays more like a natural tackle. And so I, I don't think we're going to see the drop there just because it's he's playing more of a natural position. Whereas, you know, Reisner using all of his talent and skill to play out of his natural position. So, yeah. I, like Kel said, I think it's going to be, you know, we're not going to see much, very much of a drop there. Yeah. And then, Kellis, I know coming out of spring, you were high on the wide receiver depth. Obviously, Hunter Ryzen incident is going to have some impact on that. You know, how much will they feel that loss, assuming he's done as a K-State player? Yeah, if he if he doesn't play again, they'll miss him from the on the field perspective. Just because he he did look like he was the best receiver coming out of spring practice, and you take away the best player position, same as linebacker with Justin Hughes is going to hurt. I guess the blessing they have there is unlike linebacker where they have virtually no proven depth, they actually have some guys at receiver. So they still have people they can turn turn to once Isaiah Zuber gets back healthy. Malik Knowles looked pretty good last year. Dalton Schoen, we've seen what he can do. And I, I even really like a guy like Joaquin Gill. Uh, he seemed to have put up the most highlights of anybody during spring practice. Maybe not as consistent as some other guys, but that's actually a spot where they have some depth. And given how much Courtney Messingham ran the ball at North Dakota State, I, I think they'll have enough receivers to get by with or without Hunter Ryzen. Yeah, and then, you know, we've heard some rumors that the wide receivers might get some help from the tight ends catching passes. Is that going to happen? See receivers at tight end? Uh, <laughs> maybe. Uh, I mean, they moved they moved a quarterback there in uh, Sammy Wheeler. Yeah. He actually turned out to look pretty good. I, I still think, you know, Nick Lenners is probably the guy to lean on most. Yeah. But, but we'll see. I, tight end really intrigues me because it's been so long since we've seen them actually target tight ends right. in the passing game. They did a little bit more last year, but it was basically a dead uh, receiving position under Bill Snyder. So that's something that that's a position that these coaches really like to utilize. So yeah, that'll be interesting. I, I hope they throw more to, to the tight ends. I, I always thought that was a, a waste to just have them out there as glorified offensive linemen. Yeah. And then, you know, Kleiman seemed to be pretty impressed with the defensive line. Would you say that's the, the strength of the defense with, with Wyatt, Wyatt Hubert and Terry Deshaun, some of those guys? Yeah, for sure. And, and Reggie Walker, I would say I'm really excited to see what those two guys can do at defensive end just because, you know, they've been coached the last couple of years by John Fabris, who I was never all that impressed with. I think now that they've got some more younger, energetic coaches in there, new defensive coordinator new scheme, who are feeding them a lot of confidence, build them up every day. I think those guys could go from, you know, last year they combined for, uh, I believe, 12 sacks. I, I would be interested to see maybe they could bump that up number up to about 20 next season, especially with a guy like Trey Deshaun playing in the middle. I think their starting four on the defensive line is pretty good. And even, especially when you look at the depth-wise, you got guys like uh, Bronson Massey and Kyle Ball to put in there off the bench. So they actually have some talent there, unlike, you know, they don't have much depth at all, a defensive back or linebacker, but they do look pretty good on defense. Right. And then the defensive backs, of course, always a big concern in, in the Big 12 against some of these high-powered offenses. Uh, you know, how much of a concern is that going in? What do they have to do to have to shore that up? Man, uh... Yeah, it, it's always a concern, and you saw last year that after they, they lost
on Duke Shelley. I mean, he obviously had a big impact, and they're not going to have him back this year. So, And a lot of their cornerbacks were injured during the spring. So it's hard to really say right now what they're going to look like right back there or project what they, they're going to do. But the guys they have had healthy and put out there have shown some promise. I mean, I, I like guys like Kevion McGee and Walter Neal. Denzel Goolsby at safety has a lot of experience. It's just, can they put one or two more guys in there and hit those spots a little bit? I think they could probably use a little bit more talent, depth, mm-hmm. and depth of that position. But at the same time, I'd like to see what these new coaches can bring before I, I really pass too much judgment there. Yeah. So for either of you guys, you know, who were the any any big surprises or newcomers that you saw in, in spring practice that kind of jumped out at you? I know for me, the, the one surprise guy that I never even heard of and until watching spring practice was uh, wide receiver uh, Seth Porter. Small dude, but man, he was catching everything. And Thompson, he was playing with the ones a lot. Uh, Thompson really liked him. Uh, he was running a lot of slant routes, which I know is uh, a new thing for K-State fans as well. We didn't run very many of those under you know, the previous system. So, but man, he was, he was killer at getting underneath the safeties and catching those passes from the slot position and, you know, a little bit of speed. The other one that pleasantly surprised me was uh, Jonathan Alexander, the Geoco transfer. I think, you know, he, he enrolled early and I think he's, he's really hit the ground running. It looks, I mean, he looks like he could be ready to play in the big 12, you know, right away, which is huge especially for the defensive backs, having a, a safety that's got some collegiate experience, even at the, you know, the Chico level, but you know, bigger body, fast, you know, that kind of stuff. Like we talked about, you know, that depth is, is huge and, and having somebody like that back there that can play right away is would really help this back end of the defense. Yeah. Some good, those are some good names. I'll have to circle those, I'll have to circle those in Western next season. Um, but, the, the two guys I, I probably that jumped off of me most were uh, like uh, in terms of just pure surprise was on offense was I, I would go with Whiting Gill. It just seemed like when whenever there was a big play happening, it was always seemed to go be going to him for some reason. I, and it was a little bit weird that his name didn't come up as much as some others in, in conversations. But at the same time, I mean, he's a deep threat, and if if that's something they want to utilize next year, I think he's a guy who maybe could be worth bumping up from a, a walk-on spot to a scholarship position to help out there. And then on the other side of the ball, uh, we just talked about Wyatt Hubert. The guy seems to have put on a lot of size, and maybe it's hard to notice just looking at him in pads, but talking to him without anything on, I mean, he looks like he should be a bull rider or, <laughs> or, or something. I mean, he, he looks like he could wrestle a bull to the ground. He is just so so built, so muscular right now. And maybe, maybe I'm just mesmerized by his longer hair. I don't know. <laughs> he look, he looks like he is ready to step in and do some big things. Yeah, got the Thor look going on. So I guess, Kellis, last question for you on the football is, how much easier is it or how much better for you to do your job with all the better access and transparency and, and even the, the social media stuff that they're doing now? Well, it, it's a night and day difference. It's a lot more fun. I'd say for the first time in my life, I was going into press conferences where I had run out of things to ask. I was just kinda, <laughs> there were times I was just there basically just shooting the breeze with coaches. And, and it was nice to you know not only get information from these guys, learn more about the players and what they plan to do, but just get to know who, who people are and what they like to do off the field. It's, 
you know, that was always a mystery to us just because we got so little access to assistant coaches. We had no idea what they were like off the field. Just the way that the program was run under Bill Snyder, there was so much secrecy. Um, I, I always felt like the players were on pins and needles. They didn't want to say, you know, anything revealing at all. And this spring, everybody just seemed a lot more relaxed and playing and open to talk about stuff. It, it's certainly been nice to be able to ask, you know, if somebody's injured, what, what to deal with them and actually get a straight answer. <laughs> yeah. And it, it'll be, I, I just hope that it continues during, during the regular season because as fun and informative as it has been in the spring, you know, it, it's still spring football. Right people the interest level just really isn't there if this continues and they basically still are having an, an open you know open practices and, and an open feeling during uh, the regular season then, then that'll be amazing yeah yeah and jt it just seems like it's a lot more fun for the fans too i mean some of the social media behind the scenes stuff is a lot of fun to watch and certainly stuff we never saw before Absolutely. I, I mean, exactly, you know, from the fan perspective, it just echoes what Kellis said. It's, you know, it's cool to see these guys as real human beings and not just a, a name and a, a body that we see on side, on the sidelines and, and to hear what these guys are doing and to, they're people too. And, you know, it, it, that wasn't necessarily the case under the, you know, under Snyder, they were just, you know, it was a guy and it was a coach and, but he didn't really have a life. And now these guys are, they're allowed to have a life. And I think that's, you know, from a fan perspective, it allows you to be more invested in the program because it feels like, you know, they're, you're a part of it. You're in it. You can see it. I think that's pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah. The mic'd up videos have been a lot of fun. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Definitely looking forward to next season. Um, you know, I still got spring sports. Hopefully be cool. if Baseball can make it run. And Kelly, you have any thoughts on the golf snub yesterday? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was just uh, unfortunate. I, I think they deserved they deserved a spot. It's, it's hard to cry too much about it because unlike basketball, they actually let in 81 teams. So mm. if you're crying that you're number 82, <laughs> I don't have as much. Yeah. You know, I don't feel as bad for you. But at the same time, they're, they're letting they're letting three golfers go play. Yeah. And that that's too short the whole team. So, I mean, if, if you have three individuals worthy of playing – I would say your whole team should be there. So I, I think they should have gotten in. It would have been cool. I, it's hard for a golf team in Manhattan, Kansas, to compete with teams in Texas and stuff. So it, it would have been cool and a nice, nice reward for them, especially after the spring they would have had to be included. Right. Oh, well. Well, we'll see what happens. Kellis, thanks for coming on and joining us. always appreciate your insights. Yeah, man. It was nice talking with you guys. Yeah. So you can oh. read, read Kellis' stuff at KC Star and Wish the Eagle. And uh, Kellis, remind us of your Twitter handle. Uh, it's just my name, at Kellis Robinette. No right. E on the end. <laughs> All right, sounds good. Take care, guys. Thanks. Yeah, yeah thanks, guys. So, yeah.